Yes, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And um, we, we went out for breakfast this morning and one thing I did notice, because we went out for breakfast on Mother's Day, on Mother's Day the same restaurant was full for Father's Day. <laughs> it was empty. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It tells you who organises Mother's Day breakfast. <laughs> ah, praise the Lord. Okay, well, let's um, turn to Second Chronicles chapter 32. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Um, I do want to continue with this series. I kind of thought, you know, I could preach a sermon on fathers and speak about how wonderful and they are and all those things, but we, you know, <laughs> yes, well, but, um, but in light of all of that, I, it's on my heart this morning to uh, continue with this particular series that we've been looking at on revival and the King Hezekiah, and in saying that, it is the last message that I want to share with you this morning, and um, you know, if you reflect upon the last few months, and though it's been jagged and broken up over that period, um, the various things that we have considered concerning when Hezekiah came to power, to the throne, and the things that took place, and the revival that did take place under the reign of King Hezekiah that really began in his heart and, um, and spread to the people and through his leadership. And, you know, we saw how he set his heart to seek God and how he cleansed the temple, removed the rubbish, restored it and, and, the, and um, set in order the sacrifices and the atonement for sin and how the people um, embraced that and they were liberal and they gave. And there was just so many aspects that we considered and showed us the principles really that, that do govern revival, not just um, there in the nation of Israel, but they extend also um, to the church as we know throughout church history and, and even into the lives of individuals personally, some of the things that, um, that are at work in the heart of one who is revived. And remembering revival relates to primarily the people of God, those uh, that ha uh, need to, uh, it's about new life being injected where there has been uh, death that has uh, you know, come about. And so... There's lots of things to consider and so far everything that we've pretty much considered, even last time we spoke about spiritual warfare and uh, some of those aspects, but it's all been positive and, um, uh, in terms of everything that Hezekiah has done, initiated and all that's been going on amongst the people. But in this last message this morning, that kind of shifts and changes and really it ends on a negative note, if you want to call it that. And um, which is um, unfortunate, but nevertheless a reality, and again, quite symbolic um, on how, uh, how uh, revivals do um, uh, operate and how moves of God do work uh, amongst his people and in the individual and so forth. So, um, you may, well, you probably don't, but I did mention last time I spoke that there are two things that... Um, that can ultimately, well, you know, ultimately it's really one if you think about it, but there are two things that uh, seek to undermine the work of God in the human heart 
And one, it's the, the enemy. We looked at that, you know, after these deeds of faithfulness, then Sennacherib came against the children of Israel. And, um, you know, again, the enemy is going to be activated and the hosts, uh, you know, the principalities of powers are going to uh, uh, be activated in a sense when they see a flame or when they see God is at work and moving amongst his people to try and undermine that and quench it. But the other uh, enemy to revival is not the devil, but what we see here in the scripture uh, is, the, is the reality that it's the human heart. The human heart. That, in a sense, the greatest enemy is not the devil, but ourselves. And so, it's in light of that that we want to consider Hezekiah. You know, um, the Bible does tell us in 1 Corinthians 10, that let him who stands take heed lest he fall. And so we are not to be lifted up in our hearts or become proud or self-sufficient in a sense and think that somehow, you know, we've got all this under control. But outside of the grace of God, amen, none of us can stand. The Bible tells us, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, which is a very familiar portion of Scripture, but the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it says, I, the Lord, test the heart, uh, or search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways. So again, the depths of the human heart are such that we don't even fully grasp them. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked or sick. And so um, uh, as a result of that, the Bible says, because of what's in the depths of the heart of man, God says, I search the heart, I test the mind. And so it's in light of this this morning that we are going to consider Hezekiah and what is going on here in this portion of Scripture because the reality is that the revival of Hezekiah comes to an end. And it comes to an end just as we find in Scripture the nation of Israel, then times of revival, then they come out of Egypt and then they go into the promised land and then they have times of renewal and times of disobedience and, they have, and there's, this, there's this pattern that, that evolves amongst the people. And uh, even so, even in the Church of Christ, uh, through, its, through its history, we find similar patterns as well, where it's gone you know, into the Dark Ages, as we call it, and, and then we had the Reformations. We've had revivals over the course of that period in church history, and then those things themselves have come to an end and they've died and so forth. And we can elaborate many things, but this is the reality. So, I want to proceed and read our text as we have this thought in our mind that the greatest threat to revival lies within the hearts of its leaders and its people. So let's read in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 24. <clears throat> the Bible says, In those days... Hezekiah was sick and near death. And he prayed to the Lord and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favour shown him, for his heart was lifted up. 
Therefore wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had very great riches and honour, and he made himself treasures for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of desirable items. Storehouses for the harvest of grain, wine, and oil, and stores for all kinds of livestock and folds for, all for, for flocks. Moreover, he provided cities for himself and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very much uh, property. This same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet of Upper Gihon and brought water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah had prospered in all his works. However, regarding the ambassadors of the prince of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart. Now that's a, verse 31 is really a very interesting portion of scripture. Because we spoke about already, Jeremiah speaking about the Lord tests the heart because the heart is such that it is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Meaning we can't. We think we can, but we can't. We are so prone to self-deception, but God, he knows what's in the depths. And not only that, he tests the heart to bring to the surface that which is in its depths. And it's interesting here that we find this principle uh, regarding Hezekiah. Now, what we've just read, in essence, is a summary of Hezekiah's reign and uh, it, um, uh, concerning his final years, we read in verse 24, in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death and he prayed to the Lord and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. Now, that's all it says. Now, that's a summary, really, of an event that is taking place and which you can read, actually, you can go there in 2 Kings chapter 20. Because it gives us a little bit more of an insight as to what is going on. And obviously it tells us in verse 25, but the issue of pride had become a serious and deadly poison in the heart of King Hezekiah. And so if we go over to uh, 2 Kings chapter 20, and we look at verse 1. Now we just read verse 24 in Second Chronicles, but let's read the account. It says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face towards the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your, in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you. And on the third day you shall go up of the house and into the house of the Lord. And now listen, it says in verse 6, And I will add to your days 15 years, and I will, deliver you, uh, I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. 
and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Now notice here that something is already at work in Hezekiah's heart, that he is sick and he's near to death, he's about to die. The prophet has come to him and said, get your house in order. You know, God's saying, enough's enough, your days are numbered, you're going to die, Let's get it in order and we're going to move on. Now, it doesn't give us a great insight, but we begin to see, just not just out of this incident, but also that which is to come, that the issue relates to the pride that, uh, and Hezekiah's heart that has been lifted up and how that was playing out in his own life and in the kingdom and so forth. And the wrath of the Lord was looming over, uh, uh, over him and over Judah and over Jerusalem, the Bible says. You see, pride is, uh, is a deadly, deadly poison, we know, uh, in relation to the kingdom of God. I mean, Satan himself wanted to be as God. Pride and human heart and pride is a, is a deadly sin. And so Hezekiah is, is uh, and all human nature is prone to it, but now it has, obviously it has, it has blossomed, it is fruit now in the, in the life of Hezekiah, as we will see later. And uh, this is, uh, this is uh, uh, brought about the displeasure of God in Hezekiah's life. You know, in the world in which we live, when you're successful and when you've achieved much and accomplished much, the world claps its hands and tells you how wonderful you are. But not so in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, it's completely different. Paul the Apostle um, uh, uh, said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He understood that in all of his accomplishments, which were really greater than the others of his, of his contemporaries, if not of all, and yet he himself, uh, uh, was, uh, God said, had to send a messenger from Satan to buffet him so that he wouldn't be lifted up. Because even he himself, I guess, in certain ways was susceptible to this issue. But through God's grace, he was kept humble before the Lord. And he, as we know, remained humble before the Lord. But the issue of pride is a serious issue. Now think about it, because Hezekiah's greatest battle was not with the devil. His greatest battle was not with his enemies. His greatest battle was not with his op the opponents of those within his own kingdom, but his greatest battle was with himself. It was in his own heart. And really, when you think about this, it serves to, uh, uh, to teach us a, a lesson because these things were written for our admonition and our instruction. And so uh, um, we think of these things soberly as we talk about them, knowing that we are, we are not immune from these things. It's easy to talk about this and read and point the finger at Hezekiah, but beware, <laughs> amen, because none of us are exempt from this. In verse 25, well, we, when we, in the story we just read in, in, um, in, um, in Second Kings, but going back to our text, it is evident that Hezekiah humbles himself before the Lord. As he is rebuked and as he is corrected by God, we know that that to be the case. But look at verse 25. It says, But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favour shown him, for his heart was lifted up, therefore, the wrath was, therefore wrath was looming over him. 
in Judah and Jerusalem. And so again, you can see that his life is still infected, if you want to use that word, and lifted up before the Lord. And even in light of God's grace and God's mercy, he's now displaying a quality of character that is repulsive to God. Again, we can, we've just read it. When we can go down to verse 27, where it talks about his accomplishments, it talks about his wealth, it talks about his honour, it talks about the great things that he had accomplished through God in his kingdom and how the Lord prospered him and made him wealthy with much property. I mean, this man was blessed in abundance because of, because of his faithfulness to God. But yet, in light of everything that it speaks of how good, it says in verse 31, However, however, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land. Think about that. Is however, now it's referring to an incident, it's referring to an event, and we see here in verse 31 some interesting words about this event because it says in the scripture that God withdrew from him in order to test him that he may know all that was in his heart. You see, the, the idea of God testing the human heart is not one that is foreign to Scripture. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 17, verse 3, that the, 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 the refining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. God tests the heart. And in, uh, and in 2 Thessalonians, again, in chap oh, sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, But we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Even so, we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. See, Paul is cognizant of this. He's aware of this. Old Testament, New Testament, this is a reality, and none of us are exempt from it. And here's Hezekiah, unbeknownst to him, but the Bible says God withdrew from him in order to test him, that as a result of that test, he might know all that was in his heart. And we know this test that Hezekiah ultimately failed. But it's when God tests the heart, amen, when God tests our heart that that which is in the depths of our heart surfaces and that which comes to the surface. In the same way, when you, when you put gold in a furnace and the impurities and the dross and the refining pot for silver, all the dross and that, these things, the impurities, they, they come to the surface, amen, but they happen in the refining pot and in the furnace, not in the freezer, <laughs> And in the, 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 these stressful situations of life that the Lord can bring about, or in this case, when the Lord would so desire to test us. See, Hezekiah, he failed. And the result of his failure was connected with the fact not only was he tested by God, but also the pride of his heart deceived him and he was self-deceived in the event that took place. The Bible says that the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, they came to him. You see, 
uh, the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon. Babylon was ov obviously already a kingdom. And there was the, the, the princes had been sent, obviously, by the king to this, as ambassadors to go visit Hezekiah. Why? Because they were, um, the Bible says that, that they wanted to inquire about the wonder that had, was taking place in the land of Judah. And they were, they, were, uh, they were observing from a distance and they said, there's something about Hezekiah, there's something about this kingdom, there's something about this land, there's something about this people that is intriguing. And they were amazed and so they thought, you know what, let's go visit Hezekiah and let's kind of ask him and inquire uh, about what's the, what's the keys to his success. But yet this is a, we find that the Bible's telling us that this is exactly a test that is coming from God upon Hezekiah. You can imagine, they're wanting to know why the kingdom is in such a state, and yet we know that it was because God had blessed Hezekiah. It all had to do with God's favour, God's prosperity, God's blessing that was upon the people. That was what was behind the whole uh, uh, nation, or in this case, uh, the whole province of, uh, of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. But you see, Hezekiah is deceived, not by the princes, of Babylon, but he's deceived by his own heart, by his own heart, by his own pride. You see, you couldn't imagine these princes coming to him and saying, Hezekiah, you're such a wonderful king. I mean, look at your kingdom. Look at the prosperity. Look at your wealth. Look at the people. I mean, how did you do this? And you, no doubt you could have a sense of the flattery, you could have a sense of, uh, of the dynamics of this, uh, and yet we get a sense uh, that uh, Hezekiah uh, is gloating in these accomplishments, thinking that somehow he is responsible for the state that uh, Judah is in. And he's not giving glory to God, but yet he's boasting in and of himself uh, and, uh, and, and he has fallen into the trap and pride has captured his, his heart. In 2 Kings, let's read it. Go to 2 Kings chapter 20. Let's read the account of this. 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 12. It says, at that time, uh, Berodak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Oh, isn't he so thoughtful? That humanistic love. And Hezekiah was attentive to them, the Bible says. Attentive. He paid much attention. He was, his mind was switched on. He was fixed in what was happening. And he showed them all, all the house of his treasures, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, and the, all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house, in all his dominion, that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say and from where did they, um, where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, they came from a far country from Babylon. And he said, 
Isaiah said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated what you, uh, until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they will be Enoch's in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which thou hast spoken is good. For he said, At least there will be peace and truth in my days. You see, you think, well, what, what is it that Hezekiah did wrong? I mean, he just showed him around, gave him a tour. Uh, but you see, there's something far more sinister at work here uh, below the surface when you read this and this is what brought about the prophet uh, God sent the prophet Isaiah to speak to the king because uh, it's under, it's understand this uh, the, the, these were pagans these were, uh, these were false worshippers idolaters heathen who did not serve the Lord and so here they are, they come, they send presents to him. You know, flattery is always the way in which it works in the world, isn't it? Hezekiah, oh, you're sick. And so, you know, we're just showing you how much we love and care for you, that we're going to send you letters and gifts because we just want you to be well. And Hezekiah, the Bible says, he's attentive to it. He's buying into it. But you see, Hezekiah is not being deceived by the enemy. Ultimately, Hezekiah is being deceived by his own heart. By his own pride. God withdrew from him and tested him. Think of it. God blessed him abundantly. He prospered him greatly, the Bible says. And yet these became the, the, the circumstances for his downfall. He's showing off, these are my treasures. This is all that I've accumulated. And these were the things that God had blessed him with and now he's crediting them to himself. And the very blessings of God are the very things that trip him up. Now that you would say, well, you know, why, was God, why would God do that? Because, you know, God is God and the issue is not God's goodness and God's faithfulness and God's blessing. The issue is man and man's heart and man's choices. God may, you know, say, well, why, why would God tempt him like that? Well, you know what? God made Adam and Eve perfect. He put him in the Garden of Eden in perfection, but he said, you can have all this, but don't eat from that tree. Because there has to be free will. This is the way God, the free man has free volition and choice. And so this is the nature of how it works in, as a principle in, in, in life. And Hezekiah's situation is no separate, he's not, not separate to this. And so in line of all of that, God withdrew, he tested him, and he failed that test. Because of his own heart, because of the pride of his own heart. It's not God's fault. It's Hezekiah's fault. The heart's deceitful. And man, in this instance, makes the wrong choices. You know, I would dare to say to you this morning that, and I once heard this statement from, actually from the leader of the fellowship that I was previously with, when he said, an honest heart or a humble heart will never be deceived. And I thought about that. And I, because in the, in, in the midst of the trials and the tribulations and all the testings, 
But ultimately, if we will remain humble, if we will remain um, uh, 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 honest before the Lord, then God, amen, will preserve us. But you see, Hezekiah was deceived because, and he was boasting because of the pride of his own heart. And isn't it sad because the judgment that comes down on Hezekiah is he says, the very people that you've exposed, the treasures, all your treasures and all the blessings are the very people that you will, your people will go into captivity to in the future. And we know the story, don't you? We know that, uh, that Judah uh, uh, went into captivity to, uh, uh, into, into Babylon. And all because it starts right back here. Because of these, uh, these events that was taking place with Hezekiah. And this was a man that experienced a revival. You know, we know that when Babylon went into Jerusalem that they took the treasuries of the kings and they took the treasuries of the house of the Lord and they took all the utensils of the house of the Lord and they took all the treasures over to Babylon. And here they are now in utter captivity to those people that, they had, that Hezekiah had compromised with as a result of his own pride and loftiness of heart. Now think about this. What does it teach us? How do we take that truth and make a modern application of it today? And I thought about this, and, and I mean, there's probably a number of things you could point to, but there's one prominent thing that I just want to highlight to illustrate it. And... Um, and it's this, don't compromise with the enemies of the Lord. Don't compromise the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the enemy. Now when I say that, what I mean in, in a modern day context is, is, as an example, the Catholic Church. We have... We, we, we understand church history, we understand the history, uh, uh, what we know as the Dark Ages, and as a result of uh, various things that took place, men, you know, the reason why is because the Word of God was scarce, there was no widespread revelation in those days, the Word of God was not common amongst the people. And the Catholic Church had, had, had risen up and we, we understand the Reformation and that began and through various men and the revelations they, they had and so we began to rediscover the truth and the revelation of God's word. The Bible came into our hands. William Tyndale, who's one of those that, that uh, translated uh, the translations that, you know, the, and the modern translations that we have today. He was the man that was burnt at the stake so that he could distribute the word of God to the common people. And when you understand the history of the Reformation and the church for all of its failures and everything else, but what you see is God at work in the midst of this, and you see the Word of God. We come today, we've got, the, we've got five, you know, ten translations sitting on the, on the desk at home, you know? It wasn't like that. And, you, the, and so we had those reformers that spilled their blood literally in order so that we could have the truth of the gospel preserved, so that we could have the word of God available to us today. And so what we have is now, we have in the, uh, in the modern day, we have these movements where we talk about uh, evangelicals and Catholics coming together. 
No, and so what we're doing is we're doing exactly in a sense, in a spiritual sense, the same thing that Hezekiah did with Babylon. Oh, with the, they're flattering and they're sending gifts and they're really concerned about the way we operate one the things that we do. And so we just want to bring them in and show them the wonderful blessings and treasures of God and everything that we have uh, as, a bless, as a result of God's blessing upon his church. But what we are doing, we are compromising the word of God. And that's what we see around us. And so as a result of this, we've seen in modern day Christianity, uh, these things begin to surface. And I could even think of names as I stand here um, where, we, where, where we see in the last 50 years this rapidly beginning to take place. Billy Graham was one of them. Um, you know, our false teachers of like Kenneth Copeland now. And we have um, uh, even Brian Houston who all claim that the Pope is such a wonderful man. You know, our forefathers in the church, they, he was anti, you know, they were even claiming he was the Antichrist, the Antichrist. We know he's of the spirit of Antichrist. And now we're calling him brethren, brothers and sisters. God help us. And so the very things that they were, we compromise in these things, are the, and so the, the church uh, and Christendom as we know it is going back into, into, into Babylon as such. And yet we have those that spilt their blood in order that we could enjoy the freedoms we have. And now we wanted to uh, um, uh, uh, join together with them in unity and in fellowship. And in doing so, we're compromising the gospel. We're compromising the cross. And, uh, you know, now we're calling the Pope a Christian. You know, there was a reason why Pope John Paul called born-again Christians rapacious wolves. You know why he did that? Because he knew that we weren't Catholics and they weren't born-again Christians. <laughs> okay? Simple as that. And they, and, uh, and they couldn't stand the fact that in that era there was a, a mighty move of God amongst the uh, South Americans uh, uh, in these nations in uh, South America where they were being, Catholics were being converted by multitudes and coming to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the Pope goes there and he calls born-again Christians rapacious wolves. But now the new Pope comes and thinks, we've got to think of a new strategy. You know what we'll do? We'll flatter him. We'll send him gifts. And we'll join together as one. Oh yeah, come on in. Come on in. Our leaders say. And they come in. And why? Because of the pride of their hearts. That's what it is. They lift it up. They think that there's something. Oh, look at what we have. Prominence, power, position, influence. And they're lifted up. And so this is what we're seeing around us. This is a modern example of how these things work. See, remember, church, don't be flattered by the enemy and by the enemies of the cross. Paul said, he, Paul defended and he fought for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We had to contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And more than that, um, we remember we are Protestants. You know what a Protestant is? A Protestant. We protest against error. And, I, and, and those things that uh, are in de direct opposition to the gospel and those things that are uh, uh, in, in uh, direct opposition to the gospel of grace, these are things that we must contend against in the sense that uh, when we look at Catholicism and the other aspects of the teachings of, 
uh, that have uh, corrupted, the gospel is in and of itself. So we must be content for these things. Could you imagine Paul the Apostle sitting down with the Pope? I can't. <laughs> Actually, I could. And he'd give him a few words, just like he said to Peter. <laughs> You've seen it. Ah, there you go. And so, this is, the, this is how it works. This is what we are, the spirit of, oh, no, but we're just too judgmental. No, we're not too judgmental. We are defending the truth of the gospel. And this is one of the things that we, uh, the responsibilities as the stewards of God that we have. And yet, uh, but there are those who seem to think, you know, because they're just filled with so much love. That's the catchphrase now, isn't it? Love. Love. So Hezekiah was all about love, right? The, the Babylonians were all about love. No, 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 they forgot one thing, truth. Because the truth says, no, you're not going to see these treasures. You, did not par- you have no participation with these treasures. These blessings don't belong to you. But you want to show them? Okay, they can have them and they'll go into captivity. So, there you have an example of some of these things that can take place. And God has tested his church and will continue to test it in the years ahead. But what it shows us is the folly of human men or mankind, men, human beings. You know, I look at the, we look at the, those moves of God over the course of the centuries and they were moves of God, but now they become monuments. And we know that they drift into in extreme errors and they become dead. And then God revives his work and starts a new, a new thing, puts new wine into new wineskins and, you know, and so forth. And, and these, these are the patterns that we, we see, but this is the uh, unfortunate reality as well where these things come to an end because of the enemy and our own hearts, as we see. Now, the Bible tells us that Hezekiah did humble himself in verse 26. Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. He and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So it delayed the, the wrath of God, but, but the consequences were set. And when you think about this, or the damage was done in a sense, and if you read the Bible, you'll find that who was Hezekiah's son becomes king. And who was the king that followed him? King Manasseh. And who was, how, who, how would you describe King Manasseh? Wicked. One of the most, if not the most wicked kings in Judah. And Manasseh did great evil, the Bible says, in the sight of the Lord. And so here it is, his father, you know, is a mighty move of God. Of, uh, God is uh, at work amongst the people. They've been blessed in abundance, and yet the very next generation, it is all lost and it's all gone. So that's a scary thought, isn't it? I mean, I think about that, and I think we talk about, you know, the good old days. <laughs> but you see, and thank God, you know, like Sam, it's his birthday, spiritually speaking. And I think that's great when we can reflect upon the years and the time and, and you know, and just when the Lord uh, brought us 
out of Egypt, so to speak, and, and what a moment that is. And we think of our journey and so forth, and we see the next generation, and they need to know God. They need an experience with God. They need, uh, we, we know what we, ha we have had. We know where we are at, and we know in whom we trust and so th those things. But we see the next generation, whether it be in our children or whether it be the church, and we see the waywardness, and we see sometimes just the indifference and just the apathy and just certain dynamics, and we say, Lord, how? How? Because we see the dangers that can encroach upon all of these things because none of us are immune. And so it's a matter of praying, God, let them experience revival. Let them experience the fullness of your spirit and your grace and your love in their hearts. Because they, because they need it. They have to have it. So Hezekiah, he repented. And always repentance is a door that leads to revival. Amen. For whether it's our own pride, whether it's our own compromise, whether it's our own apathy, laziness or unfaithfulness to the Lord, whatever the case may be, we must humble ourselves. And if we are honest before God, we must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. See, the Bible says that God withdrew from Hezekiah. And the fact is, is that we are not immune from these testings. I, I know them to be true. And he will test our hearts and he will withdraw from us to know all that is in our hearts. And sometimes I look at the circumstances of life and I look at things that come to the surface of my own heart and I think, you know what, I didn't even really know that was the depths of that. But the circumstances has brought out the depth of that. And so you see, wait a minute, that, and then you see how God was behind that. <laughs> Ah, it was God working. I've been fighting God the whole time. That's what, that's what we're like. Come on, let's be honest. Oh, God, that's why Habakkuk said, Lord, have revived your people in the midst of the... He said, in wrath, remember mercy in the midst of the years. And so that's the way it is. It, Lord, wrath was looming over Jerusalem. In wrath, Lord, remember mercy. Amen. Give us mercy. God, continue to bestow upon us and appropriate the grace of God. Because you know what? God, uh, the Bible says we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And so even when we fail, even when we see these things in our hearts and these things surface, we can come humbly. We can repent. We can call upon the Lord. And the Bible says he's faithful. And he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God, amen, that we can be renewed in Christ Jesus. And revival begins in us. And I pray this morning that some of these thoughts and over the course of this series that the Lord has spoken to you, that you've been blessed, and may we continue to seek the Lord with all of our hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you this morning. My God, for your word. Lord, your word, Lord God, that brings about revelation. It brings about warning. It brings about instruction. Teaches us. 
And my God, let us learn these lessons. Lord God, help us. Have mercy upon us, my God. Let us, Lord, walk humbly. And Lord, before you, God, knowing that we too are prone to stray, knowing too, Lord, we, our hearts, God, we are prone to self-deception. Lord God, through your love and your grace, my God, knowing that you will test us, knowing, Lord, that you want to change us, Lord, let us be responsive, let us be humble, let us be of a heart that is, uh, will repent, Lord, and I pray, God, that you would bring about cleansing, you would be, bring about renewal, that you would bring about revival, Lord, in the hearts of your people. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.